Praise the Lord. You are destined to win. God spoke to me in August of 1980 and said to proclaim the word of faith, be a showcase of ministries, and train people to fulfill the word of God. The message that you're about to hear was recorded in a live meeting where the Lord used me to teach the uncompromising word of faith. So open your heart to receive the ministry of the Word of God today, and you will be changed, empowered, and motivated to fulfill the Word of God in your life. Open our Bibles to Psalm 33. While you're doing that, we'll just pray and get going here. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to receive from the Word of God. We thank you, Father, for the scriptural foundation that we're going to be laying here today for remembering our nation and what we're called to in this time. We just thank you for it, Father. We thank you for revelation knowledge coming from the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is the teacher of the church, and we yield to him to guide and direct this this entire teaching today, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Now, we know he's talking here specifically about uh, the the country of Israel, the people of Israel. Uh, But we also know that the blessing of Abraham is passed on to us as believers. Because Abraham... Received his blessing, his blessing, and received his blessing by faith. He's the father of faith, the Bible tells us. And the reason is, he's, he learned over the years, and it took years, but he learned how to operate in faith. He learned the importance of words. He learned the importance of faith. And so, that whole blessing of Abraham is passed on to us. So, we can look at some of these scriptures and receive from them. And particularly with regard to our country, you know, we look at uh, what's going on in the country and a lot of people get all upset, a bit out of shape. We're going to talk about some of those things because our country is unique and is special. This country has a calling on it. This country didn't come about just because of, of men making a decision, we're just going to do this. No, there was a calling placed on this nation from from the very beginning. We're going to talk about that. But I want you to see this. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, I don't know if you've been listening to Brother Kenneth Copeland talk about the blessing. But the blessing, the favor of God, is on the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, one of the things we're going to talk about here is that you will hear a lot of people say that the United States of America is not a Christian nation. I beg to differ. It is indeed a Christian nation. It was founded as a Christian nation. And not only that, as I said, it has a calling on it. See, here's what we got to understand before we get much further. We'll kind of set some, some ground rules here. Uh, God deals with people, obviously, individually. Amen? We know that. He deals with you specifically, for instance, about being born again. And you received that. You got born again. Then probably went on to receive baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking other tongues. All kinds of good things happen because he dealt with you individually. But he also deals with groups of people called churches. He talks to churches. Remember over in the book of Revelation, I was really excited to hear pastors kind of praying about teaching on the churches in the book of Revelation because there is so much there. 
But he said specifically that he had a message for the churches. Well, that's a group of people. All right. Then he talks to nations. He has a purpose and a plan and a destiny for nations. Now, obviously, the nation of Israel is obvious. That's obviously a nation that he's dealing with. But he deals with other nations, too. And we'll find out that this country, the United States of America, I mean, July 4th, folks, praise God. I mean, this is the perfect time to talk about this. He messages that much. I'm not one to do theme messages that much. You know, I never was one on Mother's Day to preach on mothers and that kind of thing. Every so often, I'd break over and do it, you know, praise the Lord. But this is just not only a good time to talk about it, this is a timely message to be talking about right now with what's going on. All right, let's also look at Psalm 144, verse 15. Very similar scripture. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Now the King James says, Happy is that people that is such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Now the word happy there, I don't know if you know this, but blessing and happy are the same Hebrew word. And so when you say blessed are the people whose God is the Lord, it's also happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So the happiness, the completeness, the blessing of this nation, of this people, comes back to whose God is the Lord. Now, I heard Brother David Barton, which, by the way, I mentioned him earlier uh, before we got started. David Barton has, as I said, an anointing on his life to minister along these lines and to remind us of our heritage and of our history. And he has an organization called wallbuilders.org, wallbuilders.org. And I'd encourage you to go out to his website. You can actually click on links on his website and listen to messages that he's taught. And I... I listen to him, and I just am absolutely in awe of his knowledge. And I know it's the anointing. I know the Holy Spirit's given him, you know, what he's preaching. But the information that he's gleaned from his study, he actually has gotten some of the original documents that came from the 1700s and the 1800s. He has the originals. And he's read them, and he's studied them, and he's read about the founders, and he's studied all these things out and just has some tremendous information about the founding of our nation. And so I'd encourage you to listen to him. I cannot do as good a job, believe me, as as he can in teaching these things. But as he was teaching, he asked the guy that was interviewing him, he said, what is it that causes a nation to be called, for instance, a Muslim nation? You know, we look at... Iran or Iraq or whatever, and we say they are Muslim nations. Uh, and, you know, the guy said, well, I don't, I don't know. I guess the people in that nation are Islamic, you know, Muslim in their belief. And so that's why it's called uh, uh, a Muslim nation. And he said that, that would be a good definition. He said, let's stick with that. He said, for instance, over in Iran, I think he said it was 70-some percent of the people of Iran are Islamic, are Muslim. And so, uh, that, that being the case, that's like, you know, three quarters of the people in the country. So, you would say, well, okay, that makes sense, they're a, a Muslim nation. Well, uh, if you look at America, right now, and you ask people in America what their belief system is, you're going to get varying answers, of course, but over 70% say that they are Christians, 
and that they are sincere Christians, not just kind of fly by night, go to church every so often on Easter and Christmas, but, you know, fairly serious Christians. So by the same standard that the world uses to say this is a Muslim nation, we can look at the United States and say this is a Christian nation. Now, the thing is, from the media's perspective, if you start saying that this is a Christian nation, then you all, you know, you're some kind of weird, fanatic, you know, right-wing weirdo that wants to shoot everybody. I mean, literally, that's the picture they're painting of people who say that the United States is a Christian nation. How dare you say that? You must be an extremist. Well, I'm an extremist. I will admit that. Okay, let me just get that off the, you know, right from the very get-go here. I am an extremist. I am extremely blessed. I am extremely healed. I am extremely saved. Hallelujah. So I am an extremist. No question about that. But at the same time, I don't go around with a shotgun, you know, blowing people away. That, you know, as a Christian, that's just not part of my style. Amen. That's not the way I roll. Okay. Praise the Lord. So... Uh, the, the media is painting a picture of those of us who are truly serious believers in this nation in a way that is just not uh, complimentary. Let's put it that way. So what we need to do is we need to get a self-image of ourselves as believers, not as the gun-toting <laughs> believers, but the believers who are serious about our nation and about the heritage of our nation. Now, uh, before I go much further, let's look at uh, some information about the founding of the country, not from the founding fathers, but let's go back even further. Let's look at Christopher Columbus, way back in the 1600s, or 14, sorry, 1400s. Um, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I learned the little saying, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. So help me remember that 1492, amen? And so a lot of people don't realize that Columbus was a very dedicated, serious Christian. This is not a fly-by-night guy either. This, this guy understood some things about the Word of God and about prayer. And one of the things that stuck with him, I don't know if, if you're like this, but I looked up what my name means. You know, William Nathan Bailey. I wanted to know what my name meant because, you know, Abraham, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham because he wanted things said about him. And so Abraham is father of nations. And God wanted him to see himself as father of nations. So I looked up my name, William, and it means a conqueror. And William the Conqueror. Amen. That's where that came from. That became to be part of the name of William. Then Nathan means gift of God. So a conquering gift of God. I said, you know, I can deal with that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay. <laughs> so everybody kind of looks up their names, kind of interested about what their name means, you know. And if you've ever had one of those little baby books, you can find out, you know, what your name means. And uh, so Christopher Columbus, he may not have had the baby book, but he did look at his name. Christopher. It means the Christ bringer. And he prayed about his name. He prayed, Lord, what does this mean? I know I was called Christopher for a reason. I, the Christ bringer. Now, he wasn't called as a minister of the gospel per se, full time. Uh, he was a sailor. He was an explorer. But he believed that he needed to take the message of Christ to the world. 
And in order to do that, he had to go across the ocean because he had a vision of a world that was out there that would be important in the grand scheme of things as far as the history of the, of the world. Amen. Now, you know what the word history, where it came from. His story. It's the word his story concatenated there. It's a good programming term. And uh, it's talking about his story, that God's story of the earth is history. Well, in history, we have Columbus praying and believing that he had a revelation of God to go to the Indies. Now, he called it the Indies because that's where he wanted to end up. He'd heard stories about the Indies. That's what he called it. But he wanted to take the gospel to those lands. Now, he wrote in his book. Now, this is interesting. His book that he wrote was called the Book of Prophecies. This was the book he wrote called the Book of Prophecies. Things that were prophesied to him to fulfill his particular vision. He said, It was the Lord that put into my mind, I could feel his hand upon me, the fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. There was no question that the inspiration came from the Holy Spirit. This is Christopher Columbus now. The inspiration came from the Holy Spirit because he comforted me with rays of marvelous illumination from the Holy Scriptures. He studied the Word about this trip he was going to take. He found in the scriptures that the world was not flat, but was in fact spherical. He saw that from the scripture. And so he, as he saw this, he said the marvelous illumination came from the holy scriptures. Now, he went on to say the fact that the gospel must still be preached to so many lands. Now, think about this. This is 1492. He said the gospel must be preached to so many lands in such a short time. <laughs> this is what convinces me. See, to hit from his perspective, the Lord could come at any time. Amen. I mean, that's the way we ought to be living. And so he's he's like, man, I got to get to the world. We got to take this gospel to the world. So Christopher Columbus was in fact an evangelical in his pursuit of reaching people, and that's what motivated him to come here. Praise God. Now, see, history, recent history, has painted him as some kind of villain. There's even people who who are seriously campaigning to try to get Columbus Day taken off of the holiday list because he was such a terrible man. Now, he was a terrible man from their point of view because he was a believer who believed in prophecy and visions, and God told him to go preach the gospel. So... I think he's in pretty good company myself. All right, so he comes to this nation. Now, there was a long history between 1492 and 1776, obviously, of of everything that God did to place here in this country what he wanted to be here. But then there was that time where we were a colony of Great Britain, and they were taxing us heavily, And yet we had no representation back to their governmental system. I mean, it was under the king, for one thing. But even so, no taxation without representation. That was what everybody was fussing about back then. And so, as time went by, these men came together, 54 of them, I believe it was, 54 or 56, came together and said, we are going 
to get together and pray about, and check this, pray about what to do about this nation. And it was called the Continental Congress. They called themselves the Continentals. And so this was the Continental Congress where they got together. Now check what they did. They opened up the Continental Congress with prayer. Now, you might say, well, that's nice. After all, there are a lot of people that open up services with prayer. We're not talking about some Mickey Mouse, oh, Lord, bless us today, amen, kind of prayer. They prayed for three hours straight. These guys were serious. They got down on their knees and they prayed about this country for three hours. Then the Lord revealed to them through a verse of Scripture, John Adams, writing this to his wife Abigail. And he's writing this letter of what happened. You know how it is. Uh, Husband and wife, a little bit of distance there. They didn't have a telephone they could pick up and talk. So he wrote this long letter of this is what happened. And he told her. Now, her father was a pastor of a church. And he said, listen, we were in prayer for three hours. The Lord spoke to us supernaturally. He gave us Psalm 35. So let's go to Psalm 35. And he supernaturally gave us Psalm 35. We read Psalm 35, and he said, I'm telling you, Abigail, this is his letter. I'm paraphrasing here. But he said, I'm telling you, you got to read this letter, this uh, psalm. You got to get your father, the pastor, to preach this song. You got to get everybody to hear this song. Because they received revelation of what to do about this country from this song. This was how the country was founded as a nation. So let's go look at Psalm 35. Verse 1. By David, O Lord, attack those who attack me. Fight against those who fight against me. Use your shields, both small and large. Arise to help me. Now, before we get any further, think about this. These 50-some guys got together. Some were fairly well-to-do. Some were famous, like Benjamin Franklin. You know, Benjamin Franklin in uh, 1752 uh, wrote a book about electricity. You know, he had his famous experiments that you've read about with the key and the kite and all that. But at at the same time, basically what Franklin did is he discovered that electricity flowed from a positive to a negative, and he coined the phrase positive-negative poles. He coined the phrase the flow of electricity. Everything we know about the basics of electricity he came up with, and I believe the Lord helped him on that, and he wrote it down in a book, published the book like you would publish a scientific paper, and scientists around the world were fascinated by that and replicated his experiments and proved that he, as a scientist, what he had discovered was correct. Well, he became very famous because of that. Not only that, he refused to patent any of his inventions because he just wanted the world to have free access to them. As he said, I have enough money, I have uh, all that I need. Matter of fact, he had retired shortly before doing all this. And uh, he was a, a publisher, a printer. And he'd made enough money as far as he was concerned. He was prosperous. And so he just said, I'm just going to release all this that I've discovered to the world. One of the things that was a problem back then, and it's hard for us to imagine this, one of the things that was a problem back then is that when you built a building over a couple of stories, a lightning storm would come, hit the building, burn it down. And this was a terrible problem of the day, and they didn't know what to do about it. Well, he came up with a lightning rod. He 
found out from his experiments that that lightning was electricity. Electricity was seeking the ground. You put up a lightning rod, it goes into the ground, it's harmless, and there's no problem. The great giant skyscrapers that you see today in New York City and other cities, around the world, Dubai, everywhere, all of them have lightning rods. Franklin never patented the lightning rod, yet they're on every single large building. And without those, those buildings would absolutely attract the lightning and and catch on fire, be destroyed very easily. It's exactly what was happening. So his fame went around the world because he gave all this stuff away and had such amazing inventions, bifocal glasses, I mean, just all kinds of things. Franklin's stove, all these ideas that the Lord, I believe, blessed him with, he just gave to the world. But it made him a superstar. Just like, you know, today we have these superstars, you know, some of them don't do anything worthwhile. Well, he actually was doing some stuff worthwhile, and the world knew who he was. And he was fairly well off financially. So you had people from his level to folks you've never heard of. You know, unless you study it out, you probably hadn't heard some of these folks that were there. But every single one of them came together, and none of them had an army. None of them had a navy. None of them had anything to fight with, just, you know, whatever personal firearms they had, but certainly not enough to take on the the toughest army in the world. And so their primary question, this is the reason I want to say this before we got into it any further, their primary question was, how in the world are we going to do this? How are we going to come up against the greatest nation of the earth the biggest army of the earth, and defeat them. We're just 50 guys here in the room, and we don't have the resources. So that's what they went to pray about. What do we do? And this is what they saw. O Lord, attack those who attack me. O Lord, fight against those who fight against me. In other words, Lord, you're the one's going to have to do it. Use your shields, both small and large. Arise to help me. Hold your spear to block the way of those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your savior. Savior, Let those who seek my life be put to shame and be disgraced. Let those who plan my downfall be turned back in confusion. Let them be like husks blown by the wind as the messenger of the Lord chases them. Let their path be dark and slippery as the messenger of the Lord pursues them. There is no reason they hid their net in a pit. Uh, for no reason they hid their net in a pit, for no reason they dug the pit to trap me. Let destruction surprise them. And it goes on like that. And so they read this psalm. And they said, Lord, unless you're behind this, <laughs> we're not going to make it. <laughs> so, Lord, you trip them up. Well, they prayed this when they opened up the first Continental Congress. Within weeks, they started getting reports. The uh, the English would attack, and they would put forts up, and they do all these these things. And these farmers, you know, back in the early days of the Continental Army, the, the way you became an officer is if you organized your local neighbors into a group, you were their commander. <laughs> Okay, so he wrote Abigail, John Adams, he wrote Abigail and said, Colonel Smith, as a farmer, Colonel Smith and his militia, you know, farmers with pitchforks, captured one of Britain's uh, forts last week. 
Okay, now, uh, let's think about this. <laughs> this is a handful of guys that are farmers with a couple of guns captured a fort, and they say it had 68 armed soldiers in it. And he said, we're already seeing the fulfillment of our prayer. There was miracle after miracle after miracle against the English who were, frankly, unbeatable in the natural. But these guys came together and prayed and miracles began to happen. Now, they went on to, uh, of course, form the Continental Congress, write up the Declaration of Independence, all of the stuff that we know about. And basically, they said, and it's the very last line of the... Uh, uh, I think it's the Declaration of Independence. I'm getting my facts straight here. This is why David Barton's better at it. He knows this stuff off the top of his head. But at any rate, they said, we commit our lives and fortunes and our sacred honor to this effort, essentially. Okay? Now, I want you to think about that. Our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That was the one thing these guys really had going for them, is they were men of honor. They were serious about their dedication. They signed their name to it, and they committed themselves to it personally. To the point that one of these founding fathers, one of these signers of the Declaration, was a minister. He went home, and what the British did, they said, you know, if we can go in to the colonies... And we can kill these 50 guys and their families. This thing will be over. In other words, nip it in the bud at the head. So we're going to kill these guys. We're going to just decimate them. They sent in spies. They sent in people specifically to kill these guys. And that makes sense from a military point of view. All right? You know, clip off the head of the serpent, so to speak, from their perspective. And so... They captured the two sons of this minister who signed this document. Captured his sons. Put them on the ship New Jersey, which was known as a death ship. You didn't get off this ship. It was basically more, and this is what David Barton said in his, in his message that, that was amazing to me, more Americans died in the holds of these prisoner ships than did on the battlefield. They would capture them, put them in the ships, and then they'd just die because they, they were malnourished, cut off from everything. And the New Jersey just had a rep reputation. If you went there, that was it. You were doomed. And so they contacted this minister, and they said, if you will renounce what you signed, then we will let your sons go. Now remember, their lives their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And he said, even though these are my only sons, I cannot renounce what I have committed to with God's help. And his sons died. Now, man, that's commitment. These guys were serious, both from a physical, natural point of view and from a spiritual point of view. Now... When they, I'm going to cut short the whole Revolutionary War here. <laughs> when they won the Revolutionary War, which was a miracle, absolute miracle, 
And they then had to sign a peace treaty. And John Adams and Benjamin Franklin went to uh, France to broker this peace treaty. And they finally signed it. Now, when they signed this peace treaty, in effect, the rest of the world at that moment recognized that this was a sovereign country. First time, because before this, this was just a colony. So now it's a sovereign country. So how did they announce it to the world? Now, don't you think about this. As they signed the last line of this document, they signed it in the name of the most holy trinity. This country has been formed. Now, what you think about that in the name of the most holy trinity? That means not only were they Christian, they were Trinitarians. In other words, they believed in the God, in God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They were committed Christians. Now, I want to read you a couple of things that the founders said. These are guys who actually signed the Declaration of Independence. This is John Witherspoon, and he was one of the signers. Here's what he said. I shall now conclude my discourse by preaching the Savior to all who hear me and entreating you in the most earnest matter to believe in Jesus Christ. For there is no salvation in any other. If you are not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, if you are not clothed with the spotless robe of his righteousness, you must forever perish. That's one of the founding fathers, signer of the Declaration of Independence. I thought these guys were were deists. They didn't even believe in God. They weren't serious about Christianity. These were secular guys. The whole founding of the United States was supposed to be secular. That's what they're teaching in the schools right now. They are teaching this school was founded specifically as a secular nation. That's why separation of church and state, we can't have the church involved. That's not what separation of church and state was about. The whole concept of separation of church and state was leave the church alone, let it preach the gospel, don't have any state control. That's what it was about. And it's been twisted. See, that's what the devil does. The devil twists stuff. He'll take a truth and he'll twist it into a lie. He took what the separation of church and state was supposed to be and twisted it to the church can't have anything to do with anything concerning the nation. That's not the case. These guys certainly didn't believe that. Three hours of prayer? Studying the Word of God for inspiration on what to do? Come on! These guys were serious Christians. This, this one right here was preaching. This was a message he preached. And he said, I conclude my discourse by preaching this Savior to all who hear me and entreating you in the most earnest manner to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, now, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to be, you know, open to everybody. Well, I tell you what, anybody can come to the United States. Anybody can believe what they want to believe. That's fine. That's what freedom is about. But it does not diminish our heritage. Our heritage is one of being a Christian nation. And here's the great thing about Christian nations. In a Christian nation, you can be free. Think of what, what Christians believe. Freedom. Personal decisions. Not decisions from above forced on you, but a personal decision. That's how we even receive the Lord Jesus Christ, as our personal Savior is a personal decision. So we are all for everybody having a personal decision. And I tell you what, I will fight for the right for somebody to make a personal decision to go the wrong way. Why? Because I'm an American. That's my heritage. 
I'd rather them go the right way. Amen. But I do believe they have the right. <laughs> and actually, a friend of mine in college said this. Everybody's got a right to be stupid. Now, I know what he meant by that. <laughs> but he said it in such a way that it kind of got your attention and kind of made you go, Ugh, that doesn't sound right. But really, everybody does have a right to be stupid. If they want to do something dumb, they can do it because they're free. They have personal freedom. Something else I saw this weekend that was rather unusual. How many have heard of the rock star Gene Simmons? Okay. Not a guy you want to emulate. Let me tell you that. Not a guy you'd think would have anything good to say. Okay. And he is a knucklehead and he's got a foul mouth and all that good stuff. All right. I, you know, I just want to set that all straight. So I'm not condoning Gene Simmons. But they interviewed him. And I didn't realize this. He was born in 1949. He's much older than I thought he was. But he's born in 1949 in Israel. His parents escaped the Nazi death camps. And they escaped and went to Israel because there wasn't anywhere else to go. And they had founded the nation of Israel. And so they went there. His father fought as an Israeli soldier. And so there he is, seven years old. And his father leaves the family. The pressure of, you imagine all the stuff of the Nazi death, death camps and being a soldier and being away from his family. He finally just up and leaves. Leaves his mother and Gene Simmons as a seven-year-old boy in Israel. And so his mother decides that she wants to go to America because that's where it's happening. All right, Everybody wants to come to America. Amen. Because there's freedom here. And she'd been raised up under this Nazi Germany mess. So she went to the, the American consulate there, and they, he said in his talking about it, they didn't know at the time, this guy was the consulate. He was the head guy, an American. And he asked her, do you speak English? She said, no. He said, well, you know, do you speak Hebrew as, as a Jew? Well, she did some. But he said, do you speak German? She, oh, speak German, yes. And so he started conversing in German. Well, praise the Lord, he could do that, you know. But they start talking in German. She, he asked her, why do you want to come to America? And she explains she wants freedom. She, she wants to make a way for herself. She wants to take personal responsibility for her and her son. And he's impressed by her. And so he kind of puts her to the head of the line, so to speak. You know what I mean? And he tells her. And I broke down yesterday telling this to Blend. I'm going to try to do better. He tells her, now, these are the rules. In order for you to come in, you need to tell me, swear to me essentially, that you're not going to come to the United States because of causing a revolt, revolution, perdition, but you will be a good citizen of the United States. And she said, absolutely. And he said, all right, raise your right hand. And she put her hand out like this. Because that's what she knew. The oppression of Nazi Germany. And the man choked up and he put her hand down. He said, Miss, you'll never have to do that again. That's what this country means. You'll never be under oppression of a government again. You're going to go to a land that is free. Where you can make something of yourself. And when Gene Simmons, as a, at this time now, is almost about to turn eight, he comes to the United States, he walks into his first supermarket. 
He walks into the supermarket and he goes down the aisle and he sees walls to the ceiling of food. And he fell in the middle of the aisle and cried to see what America had. And he told the interviewer, he says, don't ever say anything in my presence against this country. This is Gene Simmons, an old gnarly rock star that most people don't have anything good to say about. Biting the heads off of bats and the whole nine yards, all right? But he recognized this country for what it was, a place of freedom. And he went on and he said, he said, I've got any job I could get. And he, he said, I finally saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. This takes you back a ways. And he said, man, I like that. I can do that. And that's how he got into rock and roll music. But now think about that. Ma'am, you'll never have to do that again. And the interviewer, bless his heart, said this. He said, so this sweet man told her that. And I thought about, yeah, he's a decent American official. That's the kind of person we need. Decent, believing in the foundation of this country, believing in the vision of this country. This country's got a vision. Let me read a couple more here. Benjamin Rush. Now, he's one of the founders. He's one of the signers of, of, of the Declaration of Independence. And Benjamin Rush is, uh, don't get me started on him. He's one of my personal favorites because he believed in natural health practices. And that's one of the things that I personally have done a lot of study on is natural health. So he actually ended up kind of founding the American Medical Association. But he wanted... The uh, uh, when they were writing up the Constitution, he actually wanted them to put something in there that we would have health freedoms. In other words, we'd have the the ability to choose our own, you know, medicine, whether it was herbal medicine or pharmaceutical medicine or whatever. He wanted us to. He wanted that written in that we had health freedoms, and they didn't do it. They decided not to. They said, "No, nah, we're not going. We're not going to put that in there." But that's how serious he was about natural health and about. Uh, you know, some of these practices. But listen to what he wrote. I do not believe that the Constitution that they wrote was the offspring of inspiration, in other words, simply human inspiration. But I am perfectly satisfied that the union of the states in its form and adoption is as much the work of divine providence as any of the miracles recorded in the Old and New Testaments. He attested to the fact that the founding of this nation was a miracle by divine providence. Now, their term divine providence, we would say today, the hand of God, the guidance of the Lord, you know, they just use the term divine providence. He oversaw the founding of the country. Now, here's another one. Robert Treat Payne, he said, another signer of the, of, of the uh, uh, Declaration of Independence, I am constrained to express my adoration of the author, capital A, of my existence for his forgiving mercy revealed to the world through Jesus Christ through whom I hope for never-ending happiness in a future state. This is one of the founders. I thought they were atheists. That's what they teach in high school. They didn't believe anything. Not according to their writings. See, that's the thing. We can go back and read what they wrote and I tell you what, you get a guy in public life, because he was a politician, 
in public life that says, I am personally constrained to express my adoration of the Father God and for His forgiving mercy revealed to the world through Jesus Christ. Hey, I'd like some of our politicians today to say something like that. Amen. All right, here's another one. This one you probably heard of. John Hancock. <laughs> you know, John Hancock with the big signature. Amen. He said, I'm going to sign it so big King George won't have to wear his spectacles. He was, boy, he was a fireball. Here's what he said. In circumstances dark as these, it becomes us as men and Christians to reflect that whilst every prudent measure should be taken to ward off the impending judgments, talking about what was happening with, uh, with England here, all confidence must be withheld from the means we use and reposed only on that God who rules in the armies of heaven. See, their confidence was in the armies of heaven. Their confidence was in the Lord. Not the fact that they had the physical means to do it, because they didn't. Without whose blessing the best human counsels are but foolishness and have created all power vanity, it is the happiness of his church that when the powers of the earth and hell combine against it. Think about this. It is the happiness of God's church that when the powers of earth and hell combine against the church that the throne of grace is of the easiest access and its appeal thither is graciously invited by the Father of mercies who has assured it when his children ask bread, he will not give them a stone. Quoting scripture. Now, last one here. Charles Carroll. Another signer. He said, without morals, a republic cannot subsist any length of time. This is one of the founders. A lot of people say, well, we don't know the original intent of the founders. We have no idea what their original intent was. They wrote it down. He said, without morals, a republic cannot subsist any length of time, and therefore, who are decrying the Christian religion? There were people back then decrying the Christian religion. Those who are decrying the Christian religion whose morality is so sublime and pure and which ensures to the good eternal happiness, in other words, the morality of Christianity is pure and it ensures good eternal happiness, are undermining the solid foundation of morals, the best security for the duration of free governments. In other words, if we want this country to continue... We better be a moral Christian people. That was his original intent. And it's pretty clear. Now here's the other amazing thing. Countries have changed governments over time, time and time and time again. I mean, even during this time frame, uh, France had gone through 20 different constitutions. Even the countries that have been around for years that we're familiar with go through changes of their constitution, changes of their governmental system over and over and over and over again. I mean, over in Iraq, they're writing it again. <laughs> right now, with our guidance as a nation. But our constitution has stood strong since it was written. Now, there are those who want to change it. Matter of fact, just last week we had a Supreme Court case that came up about the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. And they voted that the Second Amendment could stand 
Think about this. But only by, by a vote of five to four. The Second Amendment can stand, but only by a vote of five to four. We're that close to changing our own Constitution if we don't stand strong on what the nation was founded to be. Now, let's, we're saying that this is a study of the scriptural basis for patriotism. Let's go to Psalm 11 very quickly. I don't want to spend a whole lot more time, but let's, let's look at Psalm 11 because I believe it'll, uh, it'll show us some things. And remember, I'm reading out of this God's Word version, so it may sound a little different, but Psalm 11.1, For the choir director by David, I have taken refuge in the Lord. How can you say to me, flee to your mountain like a bird? Wicked people bend their bows. They set their arrows and strings to shoot in the dark at people whose motives are decent. In other words, there are people out there fighting against decency. When the foundations of life are, are uh, undermined, what can a righteous person do? What can a decent, righteous person do when all these things come against us? It says, the Lord and his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. They examine Adam's descendants. I like the way this is worded. They examine Adam's descendants. He looks at all men. The Lord tests righteous people but hates wicked people and the ones who love violence. He rains down fire and burning sulfur upon wicked people. He makes them drink from a cup filled with scorching wind. The Lord is righteous. He loves a righteous way of life. He loves a righteous way of life. Decent people will see his face. See, they talked about in those writings we just read that we need to be a decent people. Decent people will see his face. Now, again, I realize this is a different translation, but I love the, the way this is uh, the way this is talking. First uh, Peter two twelve. We've gone to the Old Testament. Let's quickly go to the New Testament. First Peter two verse twelve. Live decent lives among unbelievers. <laughs> Again, I understand it's a different translation than what you're seeing there on the screen. But I love the way this says this. Live decent lives among unbelievers. Now, there are those out there who are unbelievers, and we're surrounded by them. I work with some of them. Matter of fact, bless their hearts, I had an interesting conversation in a meeting. Now, this was Friday afternoon. And how many of you know Friday afternoon right before a, a national holiday? There ain't a whole lot of work getting done. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just the truth. We had a meeting. And the meeting started at 3, and we kept going through the meeting until it got to be around 4.30, and we get off at 5. So everybody's just kind of kicking back. We're done with the meeting. We don't want to go back to our offices, and we're just talking. And we're talking about different things. Now get this. I'm headed somewhere with this. Rabbit trail. Uh, we were talking about in computer technology, because we're all computer guys, and in computer technology, there's a whole lot of acronyms, you know, with just letters, where you say SAN, S-A-N, which is a storage area network, SAN. And so you're, you're throwing out these terms all the time. We were talking about all these terms, and we're kind of, you know how you play a game, you're kind of trying to throw terms out? And so we're throwing these terms out, and one of the older guys who'd been in computing a while, now I've been working with computers for over 30 years, 
So I, I outclassed them in terms of time. But this guy had been around a while, and he said, well, there's always RTFM. Now, I'm not going to tell you what it means, but it's read the freaking manual, except that's not the word. Okay. And so he looks around the table. Anybody know that one? And they're all sitting there, these young guys are sitting there. I said, read the manual. He looked at me and he says, you can't say that word. And check this. You can't say that word. I said, well, I could say it, but I'm not going to. Why? I said, because I don't want to say it. I don't express myself that way. He folds his arms back and leans back and says, well, you're not perfect, Bill. I said, I know I'm not perfect. Jesus is the only one that's perfect. But I can give it my best shot. <laughs> Amen? And he got upset. You know, not mad mad, but he got ticked off a little bit. Kind of like, who do you think you are? Kind of, You mean you can't say that word? I just choose not to. I was going to leave it at that. He pressed on. He said, you know, I used to go to church. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I used to go to church. used to be a deacon. used to go all the time. But everybody at that church is a bunch of hypocrites. Now, I'm thinking to myself, now, you're upset with me because I won't say that word. But you left church because they're all hypocrites. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Because if you see the real, and you at least once were looking for the real, then why are you mad? So I said, well, you know, it's like my pastor says. And he kind of looked at me. I said, it's like my pastor says, if you don't want to be around hypocrites, you sure don't want to go to hell. Because there's a bunch of hypocrites in hell. He kind of laughed. He said, yeah, I guess that's right. You know, and that's where we left it. But I got to think about that after the meeting, after we went, we went back to our office and got ready to go home. I'm thinking, you know, people, because he told me, he said, you know, people around here think you're a nut. I said, well, good. They think you're a fanatic. I said, well, that's great. He said, no, wait a minute. I'm serious. <laughs> he really was. I mean, you know, he's kind of, he's one of these guys, he really... It's kind of like he wants to take me under his wing and help me out because, bless my darling heart, you know, I just don't know any better. So he's like, listen, they think you're a fanatic. I said, well, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad they do. I'm extreme. He said, you don't understand. There are places you could go they wouldn't hire you because of what you believe. I said, well, you know, it's funny. I don't think I'd want to work at those places. He said, oh, <laughs> okay, okay. And he finally let it go. But I got to thinking about that. We're a witness wherever we go. And that's what this scripture is talking about here. Live decent lives among unbelievers. Why? The unbelievers will see it. goes on to say, and it's again, God's word version. Then although they ridicule you as if you were doing wrong, it's exactly what they were doing. If they ridicule you as if you were doing wrong while they're watching you do good things, they will praise God on the day He comes to help you. Place yourselves under the authority of human governments to please the Lord. 
Now, these are human governments that are working for us, <laughs> okay? You know, there was a case in the book of Acts where the government told the people, you can't preach the gospel in the name of Jesus. And they said, hey, we're going to obey God or man. And so they obeyed God and they preached the gospel. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about don't go against the government because it's there established for your good. This is a Christian nation. It's where I'm getting at here. Place yourselves under the authority of human governments to please the Lord. Obey the emperor or the president or the king. He holds the highest position of authority. Also obey governors. In other words, those who are below that. They are people the emperor is set to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. God wants you to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing what is right. Live as a free people, but don't hide behind your freedom when you do evil. Instead, use your freedom to serve God. Honor everyone. Love your brothers and sisters in the faith. Respect God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, place yourselves under the authority of your owners and show them complete respect. Obey not only those owners who are good and kind, but those who are unfair. God is pleased if a person is aware of him while enduring the pains of unjust suffering. What credit do you deserve if you endure a beating for doing something wrong? But if you endure suffering for doing something good, God's pleased with you. God called you to endure suffering because Christ suffered for you. He left you as an example so that you could follow in his footsteps. Christ never committed any sin. He never spoke deceitfully. He never verbally abused those who verbally abused him. When he suffered, he didn't make any threats, but left everything to the one who judges fairly. Christ carried our sins in his body on the cross so that freed from our sins, we could live a life that has God's approval. His wounds have healed you. Amen. Now, again, this is familiar scripture to us, but this gives us a little different perspective on it. But what he's saying is, don't rise up against a government that is there in place to, to be a blessing to you. There's a lot of people today that are looking at certain things that are going on in government. Oh, we're going to have to take over. We're going to have to have this physical insurrection. No, we need to pray. The people who might be doing something we're not pleased with, we vote them out. All right? We don't come up against them in the natural Matter of fact, we're instructed in the Scripture to pray for those in authority. We need to be praying for our president. We need to be praying for our Congress. Yeah, but I didn't. No, now hold on. See, everybody wants to badmouth. We need to do something good as decent people and pray for those that are in authority. That's how they founded the nation was in that time of prayer and revelation from the Word. Now, let's look very quickly. I couldn't leave this one out. Proverbs 24, 21. This is a scripture that particularly from this translation got my attention. (laughs) Oh, my. During the last major election, there were people who were upset with our government. And so they said... We need to do something about this government. And so, Psalm, uh, excuse me, not Psalm, Proverbs 24, verse 21 says, Fear or respect the Lord, my son. Fear or respect the king as well. Do not associate with those who always insist upon change. See, they just want to insurrection, change the government, change it all over. 
Well, those who insist on change aren't always the ones you want to be in charge. Selah. (laughs) When I read this, I went, don't associate with those who insist on change. Hmm. (laughs) I just had to throw that in there. That was just kind of fun when I saw that. Hallelujah. I'm being mean now. (laughs) All right. Uh, But Isaiah 62, verse 1. (laughs) Verse 1. 2. Verse 1. I'm getting there. For Zion's sake, I will not remain silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until its righteousness shines like the dawn and its salvation burns brightly like a torch. The nations shall see your righteousness. Talk about our nation here, I believe. They look at our country and they see our right standing with the Lord. All kings shall see your glory. You'll be given a new name that the Lord will announce. Then you will be a beautiful crown in the hand of the Lord, a royal crown in the hand of your God. You'll no longer be called deserted. Your land will no longer be called destroyed. You'll be named my delight, and your land will be named married. The Lord is delighted with you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a woman, so your sons will marry you. As your bride, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. I have posed watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. Whoever calls on the Lord, do not give yourselves any rest. Do not give him any rest until he establishes Jerusalem, makes it an object of praise throughout the earth. Now this is talking about, obviously, the nation of Israel. I think there's parallels with the United States here too. There are those who are saying these things about our country, but we need to believe for its restoration. We need to believe that it be restored. And the same thing is true of Jerusalem and of Israel. They need to have a revival of who they are and stand as natural representatives, because that's really, they have a natural covenant covenant with God. We have a spiritual covenant with God. All right, Um, verse 11, let's jump down there. The Lord has announced to the ends of the earth, Tell my people, Zion, your Savior is coming, his reward is with him, and the people he has won arrive ahead of him. They shall be called holy people, those reclaimed by the Lord. You will be sought after a city not deserted. Now, the last thing I want to read, last scripture. Let's go to, uh, well, next to the last scripture. There's one more. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Uh, Romans 13. I just glanced down and saw that my last scripture was being held specifically till the end. Romans 13. Talking about what, what do we do? This is, this is where I want to end up here. We don't gripe, we don't complain, we don't fuss, we don't elevate the negative. Everybody wants to list off all the terrible things that are going on in the country. Well, there are terrible things going on, yes. But we don't elevate that. Instead, we elevate that we're a free country. We elevate the fact that God has helped us and founded us, that there were miracles that took place when this nation was founded. But let's look at what we are to do. Every person should obey the government in power. No government would exist if it hadn't been established by God. The governments which exist have been put in place by God. Therefore, whoever resists the government opposes what God has established. Those who resist will bring punishment on themselves. Now, there are those who are trying to come against our nation and against our Constitution. God is against them. 
Okay? Therefore, whoever resists the government opposes what God has established. Those who resist will bring punishment on themselves. We don't have to do it. God's going to do it. People who do what is right don't have to be afraid of government. But people who do what is wrong should be afraid of it. Would you like to live without being afraid of the government? Then do what's right, and it will praise you. The government is God's servant working for your good. But if you do what's wrong, you should be afraid. Talking about evildoers and people robbing people and all that kind of mess. The government has the right to carry out the death sentence. How specific can you get? But anyway, I'll keep going. It is God's servant and our avenger to execute God's anger on anyone that is doing wrong. Therefore, it's necessary for you to obey, not only because you're afraid of God's anger, but also because of your own conscience. That's also why you pay your taxes. People in the government are God's servants while they do the work he has given them. Pay everyone whatever you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay them. Don't you love these commercials where it says, Have you not paid your taxes for three years? They're going to pursue you. Duh! You know, call us if you're not paying your taxes. If you're not paying your taxes, guess what? Anyway, those commercials just really throw me for a loop sometimes. Pay everyone you owe. If you owe taxes, pay them. If you owe tolls, pay them. If you owe somebody respect, respect them. Your boss, he's in a position of authority. Respect him. If you owe someone honor, honor that person. Pastor, we owe him honor, so we honor him. Do the right thing is what he's saying. Pay your debts as they come due. Boy, don't you like that translation? Pay your debts as they come due. Amen. Now, a lot of people say, don't don't owe any man at all. Well, if you're believing for that, go for it. Amen. Hallelujah. But in the meantime, if you got a mortgage, pay it as it comes due. Guess what? You're still following the scripture. Hallelujah. Pay your debts as they come due. However, one debt you can never finish paying is the debt of love that you owe each other. The one who loves another person has fulfilled Moses' teachings. The commandments are, never commit adultery, never murder, never steal, never have wrong desires. And every other commandment are summed up in this statement. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Love never does anything that is harmful to a neighbor. Therefore, love fulfills Moses' teachings. Now listen to this closely. This is what I wanted to kind of end up on here. You know the times in which we are living. It's time for you to wake up. Our salvation is nearer now. This is the culmination of our salvation. Is nearer now than when we first became believers. It's closer now to the end of days than when we first became believers. No matter what, whether it's a thousand years off, we can say that is his point. You know the times in which we are living. It's time for you to wake up. The night is almost over. The day is near. We should get rid of the things that belong to the dark and take up the weapons that belong to the light. And another translation says, take up the armor of light. Amen. We should live decently as people who live in the light of day. Wild parties, drunkenness, sexual immorality, promiscuity, rivalry, and jealousy cannot be part of our lives. How specific can you get? It cannot be part of our lives. Oh, but, but Brother Bill, I don't get drunk while I have wild parties. Uh, well, good. But it shouldn't be a badge of honor because every Christian ought to be living this way. 
But the body of Christ has got to get serious and know the times that we're living in, the importance of being an example to the world. I'm glad they think I'm a nut at work. Because when they go looking for the nut, they know who to call. Amen? My wife just got diagnosed with cancer. Where's Brother Bill? See, I want them looking for me. So I'm going to let my light shine. You mean you believe in all that, Brother Bill? Yeah. And they know it. They hear me talk it. Just right in their face. (laughs) Now, I'm not belligerent. Don't get belligerent. Be decent. Nice. Be nice. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) We need to be decent people. We don't rail against the government. We pray for the government. This is the difference between those who are just frustrated and those who are serious about doing something. You know what? I can't change a government policy like that. I can't go rewrite it. I may be real upset with what's going on in Washington, but I can't personally do anything about it other than pray. I can pray. I can't rewrite the law because I'm not in that position. And frankly, I don't want to be in that position. But I can pray. And the only way, now here's where I wanted to end up again. The only way that I can pray is if I have some skin in the game. You know the term, what I mean by that, some skin in the game? You've got to be a participant. And in order to be a participant, you've got to vote. You've got to be a decent decent citizen of the nation who fulfills their obligation and responsibility to vote. Once you do that, you have skin in the game and you can pray. And if you pray, the nation will get in line with the Word of God. That's God's message, and that's the scripture I want to end up on. But I want to finish this real quick first. We should live decently as people who live in the light of day, while parties, drunkenness, all that, cannot be part of our lives. Instead, verse 14, instead live like the Lord Jesus Christ did and forget about satisfying the desires of your sinful nature. And then Second Chronicles 7:14. I promise this is really the last one. However, if my people who are called by my name, now notice, not if every person in the nation, not if the rotten politicians, not all the ones you want to rail against, not them, if my people who are called by my name, I'm a Christian, I'm called by his name, will humble themselves. Humble. That means not lifting yourself up, but humbling yourselves. Pray, search for me, turn from their evil ways. See, the body of Christ got to get its act together. That's what we need to do. Then I will hear their prayer from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their country. That's what this translation says. Heal their country. Now, our country is in need of healing. We've strayed from the vision and the commitment that the country was founded on. Yes. But we don't rail against it. We don't fuss. We don't fight. We pray. That's our biggest weapon. But we pray because we got skin in the game. Amen? See, we have a right as participants of this nation. See, if you're not voting, you don't have the right. 
Now, okay, you're a citizen, yeah. But you need to exercise your right. And Christians can make a huge difference. There's a whole lot of us out there. Remember, 70-some percent of the nation identify themselves as Christians. If we'll just begin to do what we're called to do and pray and believe God, this nation will turn around. Praise God. Amen. Did you get anything out of this today? Tell you what, think about these things as you celebrate the 4th of July. Not just the hot dogs and the hamburgers. and Oh, that's fun. There's nothing wrong with that. But think about the destiny that this nation has. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, well, let's, let's pray and we'll close here. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to share your word. We believe, Father, that this has been just an inspiration to us as citizens of this nation to take seriously the calling and the mission that you have on this country. We're participants in it, Lord, and we believe and we pray for our country. We pray for our president. We pray for the Congress and for those that are in positions of authority, wherever they may be, even the city and local governments, the state governments, uh, the school system, the school board, all the people that are in authority, Father, we pray for them. We lift them up to you, and we believe that they'll receive wisdom from you, guidance and direction, and that you'll get through to them the mission of this country, and they'll begin to uh, officiate and to operate in their positions with the knowledge of the importance that this nation is to you and to your vision for this world in reaching the God of the world with the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I trust that you receive from the ministry of the Word of God today. If you'd like to contact me, you may write me at Dr. Bill Bailey. Word of Faith Ministries, P.O. Box 5213-5213, High Point, North Carolina, 27262. Or you may email me at this address, Dr. Bill, D-R-B-I-L-L, at W-O-F-M dot O-R-G. If God speaks to your heart about supporting our ministry financially, or you would like to receive more teaching messages from the Word of God, check out our website at www.wofm.org. I believe and agree with you for the full 100-fold return on your giving. I also believe and know that God is richly blessing you and your family every day in every way. Praise God, you are blessed and highly favored.